This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. If you have a Bible, you might want to get ready and go to Ephesians chapter 2 if you haven't already. Uh, we're not going to read straight away. I just like you to be prepared. Right. So, for those of you who I haven't had the privilege of introducing myself to, which I think is probably no one in the room looking around, um, <laughs> my name's Chris. Um, I've been part of this church for about a year and a half. I've been in Coventry for seven years. I studied maths at Warwick Uni, and now I teach maths at Warwick Uni. That's my day job. Um, by day, I'm a maths teacher, and by night, I'm still a maths teacher. I just sleep. Um, <laughs> one thing you may know about me is that I love games. I love board games, video games, card games, anything that you can be good at, anything that you can win, okay? (laughs) Basically, anything you can win. Um, And in particular, I love strategy. I love planning. I love making decisions that I know are going to have a certain consequence uh, and the satisfaction of putting together a plan that may or may not work. Uh, And I believe that that is a part of my personality that is a reflection of God's personality. We know we're created in his image, and often to find out things about God, we can look at ourselves. Um, and I, I know that God is a strategist. Okay? It's in his nature to make decisions, to be deliberate, to be purposeful, and to desire victory. Okay? The difference between me and God, uh, one of the di- there's, there's a few differences. I'll be honest. One of the differences between me and God is that God has a 100% win rate. Okay, he always wins. Okay, I don't always win, unfortunately. Maybe 95. Um, but God always wins. Okay, his plans are always perfect. His plans are always uh, entirely um, uh, set towards victory, and he knows they will. We know they will end up in victory. Uh, he has never lost. Okay, he's never failed, and he isn't about to start. Okay, we know all this. That's great. Um, as I was growing up in St. Albans, the pastor of my church back then, he always used to say, God only has a plan A. Okay? God doesn't do a plan B. He doesn't do a plan C. Everything that happens, everything that he desires, comes to fruition. Okay? He only has a plan A. Um, I think Gordon's testimony is such a perfect example of some of the things I'm going to be saying today. Okay? His, his desire for your life and his plan has been set before you were even born. Okay? Before he, he dreamed of what Gordon would be like. Okay, before we had met Gordon, Gordon knew exactly the plan A for his life. Okay, and it's the same for all of us. Uh, maybe someone else needed to hear that. God only has a plan A. Uh, and his, his strategy is not only perfect, but it's also eternal. Okay, it's everlasting. Humanity's part in his plan is very small. Okay, God existed for a long time before us. and Well, I was going to say he'll exist for a long time after us, but that's debatable. Um, <laughs> Okay, so his plan is eternal. Um, I may be a math teacher, but you don't need a math teacher to tell you that infinity is a rather large number. Okay? Infinity is bigger than any number you can think of. In fact, any number you can think of, however big it is, is essentially zero compared to infinity. Okay? If you think of the number of atoms in the universe, I don't know how many there are, probably more than I can count on my fingers, but infinity is, you know, it, it makes every finite number like zero. And God's plan is infinitely big, it's infinitely long, it spans generations and ages, but as well as that, it includes individuals. So he has a macro plan and he has a micro plan. He has a plan overall, but he has a plan for us as well. Uh, We have a part to play. If you think of a chess game, 
A chess game involves pieces which all have a different function. They all have a different role. They all move in different ways, but ultimately they all have the same end goal. They all move together, they interact in a certain way to produce victory. Uh, and that's exactly what God is doing with us, with his church. We all have different parts, we have different functions, we have different uh, skills, different roles, uh, but together we are moving in a certain way, orchestrated by him. He is the grand master of this plan, and he's going to guide us towards victory. Um, if you want to know what God's eternal plan is, I suggest you look at the Bible. That's the best place to start. The Bible is provided for us as a way to see what God's plan is. That's why he's given it to us. Uh, I challenged myself to write down God's eternal plan in the Bible in one sentence. I, I'm very much not saying this is perfect, but this is what I came up with. So, from the creation of the universe for his glory... To his promise to Abraham resulting in the nation of Israel as his chosen people set apart in victory and favor for his glory, to his birth as one of us in the person of Jesus, an ultimate death on the cross as a final sacrifice, atoning for all of humanity's rebellion and sin for his glory, to his glorious resurrection and ascension which kick-started the movement of the church as a confirmation, sorry, as a continuation of his reviving work on the earth under the guidance and power of his Holy Spirit for his glory. And ultimately, his coming return to claim his kingdom as a new heaven on earth that we may dwell with him and worship him for time unending, for his glory. That's the Bible in one sentence. It's a long sentence. It's a long sentence, (laughs) yeah. Um, But I enjoyed doing it. Um, Today, we're not going to be doing all of that, thankfully. Uh, I've probably only got about five minutes left. So uh, (laughs) uh, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. And this is the continuation of the series. Maybe you haven't heard every single week, but we've heard so far about uh, what it means for Jesus to unite his church. So we've looked at unity. We've looked at Jesus uh, being our assured inheritance, how he's our hope, how he brings everything under his feet, under his arrangement, uh, how we're seated with him in the heavenly places, and how we are his workmanship, okay? his handiwork. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. We're reading from verse 11 today, and I'll probably go to the end of the chapter. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far and peace to those who were near, For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
So these verses outline the amazing radical transformation that we have experienced in our spiritual standing through Jesus. Okay, thanks to what Jesus achieved on the cross, we have these kind of depressing things in verse 12, where Paul is encouraging the Ephesians to remember what they were before Jesus. Remember how you, know, you were separate, excluded, all these terrible things, and then thankfully we have this amazing transformation from verse 13 onwards, uh, and again from verse 19 onwards, outlining how things have changed. Uh, so I'm just going to partner together some of those uh, things that we were before Jesus intervened, and now those things that we can experience now we have uh, the knowledge of what Jesus has done on the cross. So we were separate from Christ. That's the first thing in the list. We were separate from Christ. But now, he is our cornerstone. In verse 19, 20? 20. Okay, he is our cornerstone. Now, anyone who's ever played a game of Jenga knows what a cornerstone is. Okay? One of those pieces that you touch and you know this is not going to stay vertical. Okay? A cornerstone, it holds everything together. We entirely rely on Jesus. He is central to our existence. Okay? Once we were completely separate from him, we had nothing to do with him. Okay? We were the Jenga block that was not even part of the tower. Okay? But now we're on the top of that tower, seated with him, and he is holding us together. It says in the book of Colossians that in Jesus, he holds the whole universe together. Okay? In him, all things hold together. What an amazing transformation. The second thing in the list, we were excluded from citizenship. But now we are members of God's household. Not only are we citizens in his kingdom, we're in his house. Can you imagine applying for citizenship to the UK and not only being told, yes, you can come live in the country, but in fact your new address is Buckingham Palace. Okay, this is the kind of transformation we're talking about. Not only are we citizens, we're living in his house. Okay, we're not only people who have rights, and responsibilities as part of his jurisdiction, but we have a seat at his table. What an amazing transformation. Uh, The next one in the list, we were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, but now we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, so what this means, we, uh, we can read the Old Testament, we can read all these amazing promises that God made to his uh, chosen people, Israel, and we can apply them to us. Before Jesus, we had no chance of doing that. Before Jesus, all these things that we read about in the Old Testament, we could say, well, that's very nice for them. What about me? But now, through Jesus, we can read these amazing promises in the Old Testament, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and we know we are included in this covenant. Okay, so I've got some examples here. Isaiah chapter 40, one of the best chapters in the whole Bible, uh, along with all the others. Those, (laughs) Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not walk and not faint. How amazing that we can apply that to us. Thank you, Jesus. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Through Jesus, that applies to us. Deuteronomy 31. The Lord himself goes before you. This is for you today. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Before Jesus, we have to be afraid. We have to be discouraged. With Jesus, we're not afraid. We're not discouraged. Okay, one you'll know well. Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. 
plans to give you a hope and a future. Through Jesus, all of these promises are for us. That's amazing. What a transformation. Okay, and, and finally in the list, we were without hope and without God. But now we have the hope of rising into a holy temple in which God lives by his spirit. What an amazing transformation, okay? What a reversal. We have total absence to total presence. Okay? Without hope, without God. Completely separate. Uh, When I read this, I was reminded of the story of Zacchaeus. He was so short, he couldn't even see Jesus behind the crowd. He was entirely separate. He had nothing to do with Jesus. He was a tax collector. He was a sinner. Okay? He wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus saw him in the tree, and he said... Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Okay, not only uh, has Jesus acknowledged us, but he's made his home with us. Okay, he's, he's building us up into uh, this holy temple in which he can dwell. We live in his house. We are his house. What an amazing transformation. So God saw us as those distant sinners, and he decided to make that dwelling so that he could always be with us. I love that song, um, There's the verse that says, you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. He decided to make his home with us. So that's the the transformation that Paul has described. I was really intrigued why Paul encourages the Ephesians to remember. He says remember in, uh, in verse 12. He says remember all those things that you were before Jesus. Because if I was writing this, which thankfully I wasn't, uh, I would have maybe focused on the good stuff. I would have said, you know, remember all these things that you have in Jesus. Isn't that great? And of course, that's the emphasis. But Paul specifically says, remember what your situation was before Jesus. And I wondered, why was that? Well, the first thing I could think of is that where we have come from indicates where we are going. Okay, if you, uh, if you saw a snapshot of somebody walking along a beach, okay, if you saw a still photograph, you don't know which way they're going, well, you can see their footprints from where they've been. gives you a, probably a good idea which direction they're going. Okay, if you drove a car which only had a rear-view mirror, no windscreen, okay, if it was blocked out, if you could only see behind, I'm not saying it's a great way to drive, but <laughs> you would still know which way you were facing. You would still know which direction you're going. Okay? Uh, when, when Paula shared a few weeks ago, she showed us that graph of increase of God's dominion. Okay, when, uh, when the birth of Jesus is prophesied in the book of Isaiah, it says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. God is a God of increase, and it's the same with his relationship with us. He desires deeper relationship with us every day. He desires uh, increase in our fruitfulness. He desires uh, us to go into deeper things of him in terms of giftings. He's always a God of increase. And I think, uh, as we're going to read in chapter 3, In the next few weeks, Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would continually increase their knowledge of God's love, this infinite love. The second reason I could think of why Paul encouraged them to remember, well, it's it's humbling, isn't it, to remember we didn't achieve any of our current position ourselves. It was all through Jesus. All of these amazing things we have now, we had nothing to do with that. Okay, It wasn't through anything we did. It wasn't through our own plans, through our own abilities through our own goodness nothing to do with us so I guess that's an easy reason it's humbling and the third one's the most important one why should we remember so we can glorify God okay that's probably the, the the most important one one of my other favorite chapters in the Bible along with all the others is uh first Samuel chapter 7 where Samuel sets up a stone 
following a victory over the Philistines, uh, in which they didn't really have any hope of victory, and they won through God. And he sets up a stone, and he calls it Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means stone of help. And he proclaimed, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Okay, back then, setting up a stone was a very significant moment of looking back and saying, we didn't really have a hope. We didn't really have any uh, right to win that battle, but God helped us win, and we set up a stone to say, God has helped us. And I feel that what Gordon was sharing was your Ebenezer moment today. You were setting up a stone, and you're saying, God has helped me. Okay? And what God has helped me before helps me know how he's going to help me in the future. In fact, I think this whole message today is an Ebenezer message. We're looking back. We're remembering how we were before we had Jesus to give us an assurance for now what we do have. We can glorify God for the victory we know is coming. Okay, the final thing I want to say is about reconciliation. Okay, so we have these verses at the beginning of the passage I shared, which describe a terrible situation. We have the verses at the end, which describe an amazing situation. And then in the middle, from verse uh, 14 through to verse 18, we have this message of reconciliation, uh, removing hostility and bringing together these two uh, kind of nations between Jew and Gentile. Uh, you know, humanity loves division. I'm not talking mathematical division, I'm talking separation. Okay? We love teams. We love competition. Arsenal versus Tottenham. Leave versus remain. Government versus opposition. Alien versus predator. <laughs> Maybe not that one. Okay, but we love, we love teams. We love to have people who are with us and people who are not with us. But that's not what God's like. He's a God of reconciliation. The only distinction that God makes is those who are his people and those who are not his people. Those who fall under his favor and those who don't. So we read in the Old Testament, we know that the Jewish nation of Israel, they were called God's chosen people. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that he promised to bring prosperity. He promised to bring victory. Uh, If they just trusted him and followed him, he would win all of their battles. Okay, we can read all of that through the Old Testament. Uh, I suppose the way you could describe it is relentless faithfulness. Okay, that's what we see of God. But these verses here, they tell us that's for us now. Okay? If you think of a cornerstone in a building, what does it do? Well, it, it joins together two walls. Cornerstone is the, the stone that links together the two perpendicular walls and holds them both up together, essentially to make one wall. Without the cornerstone, you'd have two separate walls. They'd probably fall down. Okay, So we have this verse in verse 14 that says, He has made the two one, he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Our God is not a God of building walls, he's a God of bringing them down. Okay? And the best example of that is the fact that we are now his chosen people. We're on the winning team. Thank you, Jesus. We're on the winning side, finally. So verse... 17, it says that he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. So if you feel far away from God today, God's message to you is peace. If you feel near to God today, his message to you is peace. Okay, maybe, I don't know if there's anyone here, but maybe if you are, or maybe if there's someone listening on the podcast who doesn't know any of these things about Jesus that we've been describing. Maybe you don't follow Jesus, maybe you don't, Uh, understand or experience these amazing transformations that I've been talking about. Well, today I want you to know two things. 
Number one, God has chosen you. And number two, he's inviting you to choose him. It's a two-way process. His death on the cross was for you, so you can become part of his family. You no longer have to live with your face pressed up against the glass. There's a seat for you with your name on it. All you have to do is put your faith in him. And I invite you to do that today. And if you're not those people, if you're the people who feel near to God, if you're a part of the family, well, his message to you today is still peace. Okay, the only appropriate response is gratitude. This morning is an Ebenezer moment for all of us to say, thus far God has helped us. To reflect on what God has done, how he's transformed us, and to acknowledge that he's still Lord of our life for the future. I'm just going to finish by reading a verse from my all-time favorite hymn, which is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There's a verse that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. We thank you, Jesus, that you interposed your blood so that we would be rescued from danger, so that we would be near to you instead of far, We thank you that you have invited us to be not only a part of your kingdom, but to live in your palace. We thank you, Jesus, that you have brought these amazing transformations for us. And we know that the only appropriate response is gratitude. To glorify you this morning, to set up a stone and say, thus far you have helped us. And Jesus, I pray for everyone who is here today or listening on the podcast that you would help us to know your infinite love. You would help us to uh, experience that increase that you desire for us, that every day we would grow deeper in relationship with you. We love you, Jesus, and we give you all the glory for your eternal plan, the Grand Master. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.